Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light and salvation. The light shines on us today from Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, chapter 5. He says right at the beginning, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm. What does this freedom do for us? A reason to do whatever we want? Eh, Paul doesn't quite agree with that. Or is it an opportunity to love your neighbor as yourself? Wonderful words. Let's dig in. Lots of grace and lots of Jesus. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for thank you to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor Jacob Heine of Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas. Pastor Heine, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Finner. It's good to hear your voice and good to be with you this morning. Absolutely. The big question we have today, you're a runner. And actually, we're talking today about, you know, you were running well. The question we have is, did you get your run in this morning? Uh, when it's zero degrees out, the answer would be no. But <laughs> I will later today. I uh, <laughs> Yeah, nobody runs when it's this cold or only crazy people do. Um, <laughs> no offense to anybody that went out and ran in it. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, the last few days I've actually been running through the church. So literally like down the hallway, down the stairs, down the hallway, up the stairs, down the hallway over and over and over again, just to get in my miles because, uh, yeah, it's too cold to be running outside for me at least. I love it. We, uh, one situation we have in our own congregation is that we have a walking group and they always meet Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And traditionally they always went to the mall during the winter months, um, cause they said mm. it was too cold. So they went to the mall, but now the mall doesn't open till 11. So this totally messes up their schedule. So now they're committed that I think the last number was if it's warmer than negative five, they will still walk, um, which is crazy. We have crazy people up here. Negative five wow. is the coldest, you know, so they, <laughs> they will be out there My walking. And 20. 20. See, there you go. You're, yeah. We're all, yeah. well, you know, they are, you know, they're retired and, and uh, they're very wise. So maybe when we get older, Pastor Heine is going to be running, you know, in negative five degrees. We'll see. You never know. Maybe. You never know. You never know. Our may just move south to Arizona or Florida where it's warmer. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, enough about weather. Pastor Heine, you've, you've had some transitions, not like just right now, but you are now in the Jayhawk wildcat territory of kansas um, um at least since covid right how long you been at this church yeah i uh, was installed here on uh, reformation weekend and uh actually got here at the beginning of october and have been uh serving the congregation since then so it's been what about five six months now of of time in kansas but not my first time in kansas i did my vicarage in wichita so i'm at least a little bit familiar with the lay of the land though this is a little bit farther north and uh more definitely more rivalry in the jayhawk uh, k-state realm than i experienced 15 16 years ago <laughs> exactly and that's the thing you know you and i served together on, on vicarages in kansas and i was in north topeka and it was literally half jayhawk fans half Wildcat fans in the crowd every single Sunday. It was a lot of fun. Would you say that's true for Faith Lutheran as well? 
Oh, I think that's probably pretty accurate. And as I've been told, it depends on what season it is, football season or basketball season, what you're going to hear most of. And (laughs) I think that's pretty, pretty close to the truth. Wonderful. Well, this morning, as we dig into God's Word, a reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions you want to throw at us this morning, Pastor Heine is a a great theologian and digs into the Scriptures continuously and has great answers to all this, so throw out anything to us as we look at God's Word. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And also, I've been asking this this past week, Pastor Heine, um, because it's always interesting what people do while they're listening. Um, and so I asked this week, you know, what are you doing while you listen? And we've had a few people write in saying that they uh, do it while they're doing dish. They listen to thy strong word or study God's word while they're doing dishes. Some even said they finish their lunch early so they have no distractions, which I'm impressed with. Um, and then there were some that do it while they exercise or listen to this while they exercise. Um, but no one mentions anything about, you know, watching K-State uh, football or KU basketball while they do this. So that's good. That would be distracting, I would guess. Um, I I can't imagine you'd be able to do both at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, you never know. You never know. But anyways, uh, so our listeners today, tell us what you're doing while you listen to thy strong word and study God's word. Um, It might be that you are having no distractions. It might be you're exercising, whatever it might be. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. As we are about to search the scriptures of Galatians chapter 5, um, Pastor Heine, can you begin us in prayer? Absolutely, glad to. Most gracious Father, you are uh, the one who sustains us and guides us. You give us all that we need for this body and life, and for that we rejoice. Even on a, uh, a chilly, cold morning like now, uh, we know that this is a gift from you. And in your gifts, we see blessing. Uh, we especially thank you for the gift of your son, Christ, who sets us free so that we can be your children, so that we can walk in the light of his love. As uh, we finish up this epiphany tide and we are reminded of the light that shines in the darkness uh, and turn our attention in the next few days to Lent, also remind us the reason that you came, that we could not free ourselves, that uh, there was no way out of the mess we're in, but only through Christ's life, death, and resurrection for us can we find hope guide our discussion, our time in your word this morning, that it would be beneficial to us and that we would continue to grow in our faith. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. We are beginning Galatians chapter 5, and there is wonderful language in this, uh, in this chapter that points us to freedom. But also we're set up with the previous chapters And Pastor Heine, do you have any introductory remarks concerning the context and background to help us out um, when we get to chapter 5 today? Yeah, it's intriguing when you come to chapter 5 because verse 1 kind of sits in this really strange position, and there's all sorts of debate. Does it really belong to the end of chapter 4? Is it part of chapter 5? What do we do with it? And I think maybe we're asking the wrong question in that respect. A lot of times we forget that the chapters and verses are foreign actually to the original text. You know, these were added in, you know, the last 500 to a thousand years. They weren't actually there uh, when Paul wrote them. And so this would have flowed very nicely from 
chapter four, which I, you know, you studied yesterday with Pastor Engel and the, mm-hmm. the idea of being, you know, who are, who are you a son of? Are you a son of the, the slave woman or son of the free woman? And so this flows nicely from that text, but into the next one. Um, and, you know, of course, our chapter headings give us this idea of like, you know, we're free in Christ. And yet, really, what we have here is a bookend of freedom with a uh, center section where Paul is going to challenge us about what what's really happening in our lives and what we're uh, gravitating to or being persuaded to, maybe is a better word that Paul's going to use here, um, to the law or away from the gospel. It is, it is quite fascinating, because I, I read quite a bit on that, too. And of course, you know how it is, is as pastors, we can kind of get excited about all those things, and then when you get done, like in Bible study or even a sermon, you go, but we still don't really know. And then you move on, so it's kind of a fun thing to look at. And, well, it could be in four, it could be in five, we're not sure. But the focus, especially when we look at Hagar and Sarah, I mean, we, uh, Pastor Engel and I, we just we just fought through that, and you look through it, and it is a fascinating part of allegory. You know, we, we you know you learn about allegory, figurative speech, that you have to be very careful on how to use it. And then Paul uses it in a way that you're like, hmm, I don't know if I would even do that. And so... What do we do with that? But the focus of it was the promise, the freedom. This is our identity as a free child of Christ because of what he's done for us. And it just, like you said, a bookend beginning and the end of our readings today point us back to their freedom that we have in Christ. Any last thoughts introductory-wise as we uh, dig in, before we dig in? I I I really love this passage, and I thought it was ironic that I got it. As you mentioned, being a runner, there's we're going to get to running here in a little bit. But I think as I was looking at this and I was listening to yesterday, the, the interesting thing that Paul does here, you can almost hear him, where he, he gives this allegory, and he almost steps back and says, I don't think you're going to get it. Let me be blunt. <laughs> and I think we're going to get to the blunt section today. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. That is a good point. So let's, let's dig in. We'll just do verse 1, as it is really the, uh, uh, the verse that tells us about the rest. Verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The focus here is freedom. And I think of uh, when you read it, your first, my first thought, and this is how I think, uh, is is you think of Braveheart, you know, Mel Gibson yelling out freedom. And, And you think of that as Americans, freedom, this is what we are. Is he speaking in the same sense or is there a different sense he's speaking here? Oh, certainly not. Um, and I think we've co-opted this word in a lot of ways. You know, freedom has to do with truth, uh, biblically speaking. So our freedom comes from truth. And where do we find our truth? But in Christ himself, in Christ alone. Uh, and, you know, Paul here is saying, you know, for freedom's sake, uh, Christ set us free. For, for you to live in truth, live in what is true, that's why Christ set you free. And, you know, we, we use that, we throw that adage around quite a bit sometimes, right? You know, freedom really isn't free. Yet. And I think biblically speaking, that resonates more than it does anywhere else. Um, our mm. military certainly is willing to lay down their life uh, for our freedom. But in Christ, we see what that really looks like, right? While we were still sinners, while we were still broken outside of God's love, still bound by the law, Christ died for us right? It wasn't free. You have been bought. You have been purchased with a price, not gold or silver, but his precious body and blood given and shed for you. I mean, these things are are huge. And and for Paul, you can almost hear him, you know, transitioning from one uh, section to another 
and almost the exasperation he has. You have been set free. You know, stand, stand firm. Don't, don't submit mm-hmm. again. Don't let that yoke of slavery, that yoke of the law, come back upon you. Uh, it, it won't do you any good. And you know, you can almost hear his his uh, his frustration coming forth in this section. You almost can hear him speaking like Mel Gibson on uh, Braveheart, right? And yelling it out, freedom! They cannot take our freedom. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm, being, I'm, I'm thinking of movies all the time right now. Anyways, he says it twice, too, which is emphatic. Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And I really um, enjoy how you said that, that freedom comes from truth. I guess I, you know, I know that, but I hadn't really focused on that before, is that the truth obviously points us to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, it says this in John 8, um, uh, truly say everyone who practices sin is a slave. You know, he talks about this, don't go to slavery with sin, but the son, uh, the, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So the son sets you free. You will be free indeed. This is, well, this might have been the text when you were uh, installed, a Reformation Sunday. Uh, if you are free, you will be free indeed. So there's an emphasis on this freedom, and it points us to truth. Other, other thoughts on that first verse? There's a, lot, there's a lot there if we wanted to stick with it. I mean, you could all, I think I've preached the whole sermon maybe on this first verse at some point. So, I mean, there's all, yeah, I, absolutely a lot. I love the imagery of the yoke that he brings in here. I don't know, I was trying to think if Paul ever uses the imagery of a yoke anywhere else. Um, hmm. But certainly Christ does, right? Um, about being yoked yeah. with him. Um, and here, Paul is, you can almost hear those words of Jesus in there alongside this, that, you know, you, you were yoked with Christ, you, you were bound with him, but now you want to go back again and be yoked to the law. And he's going to, I think he's going to pull that imagery and that, that thought out through, the, through a good chunk of the next section of what that really looks like and why that's so dangerous. You know, I, want, I wanted to see what your thoughts are, too, in the word stand firm, stand firm in freedom versus standing firm in a yoke. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that when he says those words? Because usually you think of here I stand, Martin Luther, you think of here I stand, but here it's, it seems different to me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Stand firm, what is Paul saying? Yeah, but, well, the literal heap for the little Greek there, we're in the New Testament, the little Greek, literal Greek there would be actually to hold your ground, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's the idea of planting yourself in uh, something, right? To, to uh, not give way, to not give an inch, to, to hold firm. Um, there's almost a military-esque aspect of this when you stop and think about it. You know, the, the front line holding the ground and not giving in to the enemy who's coming at you. And, you know, certainly we can get that with Luther and his, you know, stand firm as well. But I think what, you know, Paul's trying to get at here is, you know, you're there. We know there's an agitator. We know there's somebody in the midst from chapter one who's stirring things up and, you know, driving and pulling them away. And he's it's an encouraging statement, right? It's a um, it's a statement of. Um, confidence in the, the church at Galatia and what they can do. And we'll see him do this again uh, towards the end where he's going to give kind of the same sort of uh, call uh, to, I'm trying to find it real quick here, but, um, uh, but he's going to kind of do the 13? same thing. You know, stand, it might be verse 13. I'm, you know, trying to look ahead and got myself um, hmm. lost. Um, oh no, verse 10, <laughs> I have confidence. Verse right? 10. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, yes. verse 10, mm-hmm. where he says, I have confidence in you. He, he's given that same sort of boldness of, of mm-hmm. and building them up. Like, you can do this. Not on your own, obviously, which he's going to get to, but in Christ, because Christ has set you free. In Christ, you can hold your ground. Um, and it's and Paul, obviously, here and throughout all his epistles, the emphasis is on uh, always doing this in Christ, not on your own. That is that is really very helpful to talk about confidence and how we will. Uh, he says, "I have confidence in the Lord." Second uh, Corinthians talks a lot about boasting in the Lord, and we will talk about these things in culture, and we will meld them together exactly like you're saying with freedom. And we have to make sure that when we talk about standing firm, is not the same as maybe we talk about um, in the military sense. Um, um, but also it is like the military sense. You say, this is this is our ground. The gospel is our, <laughs> that's our foundation. That's what we have. Don't you dare take something away from me that is clearly there in the scriptures. And that's what Paul's concern is for the Galatians is like, listen, don't go back to slavery. Stand firm in freedom of Christ. So, so many wonderful words here. Let's move on to verses two and three. Uh, one of our goals here is to kind of plow through the verses and then to see uh, to to go slowly through them. One of the things I realized too, I'm going to take one quick step back here, Pastor Heine, is we had uh, Dr. Andrew Doss on the first session, and one of the things we found out that here's a guy who wrote the commentary on it. Here's a guy who studied hours upon hours and references upon references, and he still studied for our show to talk about Galatians. So we are on a lifelong journey in the Bible, and that's why we go slowly through this and see all the gems he gives. Anyways, now we go back, two to three. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. All right, so... We have some sternness, the, the great gospel words in verse 1. Now we get back to some sternness. What is he warning them, or what is he exhorting them to? Yeah, well, we finally get kind of what the issue is. Paul's hinted at it throughout the letter, but he's really never trying to come forward with exactly what the problem is. And it seems that here we finally get that, where Paul pulls out what the real issue is, that there's a a group, most likely of Jewish believers, who have agitated the Gentiles to say, look, if you're going to be part of us, then you have to be circumcised, right? Uh, That's part of Mm -hmm. the law and part of what that means. And Paul here is, you know, basically he's he's saying, if you're going to keep one part of the law because you're trying to please God, then you have to keep the whole law. It's not like pick and choose. This isn't an a la carte sort of moment for you. You get you either trust in Christ or you're going to trust in the law. And if you're going to trust in the law, then you've got to do everything according to the law. And we know how that's going to play out for you. Yeah, James tells us if you break even one, you've broken them all. <laughs> so right. this yeah. is not a Which good— I think I uh, confirmation class every time. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, exactly, yeah, because there is that wiggle room we want to have that, well, I do pretty well, um, I get it, uh, I, 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 I pretty much am a good person. What Scripture tells you a different story, which is quite, and that's that's fun in confirmation. How do you do it in confirmation? This would be kind of fun to hear. Uh, well, it's it's always fun to kind of go through the Ten Commandments with them, 
and help them see, you know, the areas in which they, you know, clearly when you're 13, you know, 12 or 13, and you're talking about the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not engaging in anything, but, you know, you start to talk about, you know, all the hormones and the different things. And you say, yeah, well, what, who's your God there, right? Who, who are you going after? Um, you know, well, you're going after yourself. You've made yourself your own God. You've set your own rules, you know, and it kind of, I always take them back to Genesis chapter three. You know, what does it mean to, to, uh, you know, eat from the, ch- the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You know, it yeah, means to decide yeah. for yourself what's good and evil, to be fully wise in your own eyes and what that really looks like to them. And it's, it's kind of fun to see their, that realization like, oh, oh, yeah, I, I did that, didn't I? <laughs> I always I have a mantra where I'll say, what, what am I? That's the question I ask them. And they have to say, well, every class, a sinner. <laughs> and so it's okay. How do we know that? We go down the list of the Ten Commandments, and so that that's so good. And and you know, the problem is for confirmation age and ours and every age, we will always want to say, "Did God really say?" Same. And that's yeah. really what's going on here with the Galatians too. I like how you're how you're saying that we've we've talked about circumcision this whole time, but this is the first time we actually hear about it. Um. That, that here is a group of Judaizers coming in, or they call them the circumcision party, and they're like, hey, if you want to actually be part of this, you first have to do this before you become this. And Paul's like, no, there's not this backwards move. Um, we talked chapter 3 and 4, don't go back to slavery. Stand firm right here and right now. And he says it right at the beginning, look, you know, kind of like... Um, trying to think of how this works as a parent where you kind of say, okay, here's the deal. But he probably says it more direct than that. Any other thoughts on these verses? Yeah. Well, one of the things I love in, in this verse that you miss in the English, sometimes our English translations don't do this as well, is Paul's emphaticness in it. I mean, he starts off with you like, look, pay attention, mark my words. I'm not, I'm not kidding here. Right. And then he, 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 inserts a pronoun that's not necessary you know he he says i paul i myself right you need to hear this because somebody else is trying to tell you something else and you need you know me you know who i am i've been with you i I, you know i i taught you this you know me so mark this really well (laughs) and then he you know he just blasts them with with the law that and and then he really blasts them in this way is saying, okay, let's say you want this circumcision, all right? Let's, okay, let you, well, I'm going to let you have it just for a moment. Then Christ is no advantage to you. Then there's no right. reason for the cross. And he does this in Galatians 2. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Um, yeah. And that's very profound. I, I've heard this, heard this too, that, you know, if, if you don't think you're a sinner, then there's no reason to believe in Jesus. I mean, that's the kind of language that he's using here. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't remember which uh, professor at the seminary said it, but it's always rang with me, right? If, you know, you never hear the law, if you never know the law, the gospel means nothing, right? And without, uh-huh. and without the gospel, the law um, has, has no effect. Um, we, we need them both together. And Paul has in verses 1 and 2, well, 1, 2, and 3, really done a nice balance of this. He gives us the gospel, right? You're free. You have been freed in Christ. Um, don't put on the yoke again. And then he brings in the law 
to remind us of how great that gift of grace is, right? Christ is no benefit. If you're going to yoke yourself to the law, then you've got to keep the law, and that's where you're going to find your righteousness. And by the way, he's going to tell us that gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere, absolutely, yeah. And, and it's a reminder for us that, because we're all going to fall into this, because we love the law. Why do we, why, how would you describe this? Why do we love the law so much? Because we innately need someone to tell us what to do. I mean, that we want to know, you know, being competitive creatures and being competitive things, which Paul's going to pull out here too with the imagery, the running imagery, you know, we all, we want to win. We want to know what the rules are. We want to know how do we get better. And, you know, there's always these steps, like tell me what I need to do to achieve whatever it is. So the law tells us what we need to do, do to achieve. And so, of course, we're drawn to that because we can measure ourselves. Well, I didn't do this, so I'm not good enough, right? I got to do better. I've got to do, do more. And so our natural innate sinfulness wants to know how do I get better? But all we find in there, you know, the, the measurement of the law is we'll never get there. We'll never be good enough. We'll never be, be strong enough. We'll never be fast enough. There's always more to do. And then that's when the law becomes that burden, right? We're always feeling like we haven't done enough. We're always feeling like there's more to do because there is, because we can't do it all. And one of the emphasis we've had, and that very well said, uh, one of the emphasis that, that we've had is the, the, the law itself has not changed, but our relationship to the law has changed. That it's no, if we try to find our identity or our co- confidence in the law of salvation or our comfort in the law. We sometimes we feel like we're we're comforted by this. You know, we can use a running analogy that okay, I I ran five times this week, and then therefore I'm ready for this marathon. Is that we feel good about that until you don't do the five times and you stay up all night because you only did four times. You know, or the ten thousand steps. I did ten thousand steps yesterday today i didn't oh i feel horrible you know and there's you have to do it this is what you do the law is good but also if you're trying to find comfort of knowing we're in a good relationship with god we will never ever get there but right now we're gonna have to take our break here uh, we are studying galatians chapter 5 with pastor jacob heine we will be right back Friday on Issues Etc., it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith. We'll respond to your email in the Issues Etc. comment line, and we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Listen and vote in advance at Facebook.com slash Issues ETC. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. 
And to do that, Christ confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. And welcome back. We're studying Galatians chapter 5 with Pastor Jacob Heine. And as we're doing so, we've talked a lot about the law. Why do we love the law? The Galatians obviously love the law. The Judaizers are telling you, you can find hope in this law. But Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't find your hope in the law. Find your hope somewhere else, Um, which is obviously to Jesus. And so verses four through six, let's move forward because he's speaking even stronger here about the implications of finding your hope in the law. Verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul has some pretty strong language here. Pastor, what do you what where do you, what direction do you want to take with this? <laughs> oh, which which one of twelve should we go? Um <laughs> I, Yeah, there's some interesting things. Obviously Paul loves uh imagery, right? And so mm-hmm. we've got circumcision, which we know is the you know the cutting of the foreskin uh issue. Mm. And then he uses this word what sever? right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Which is also an idea of cutting, right? So he's saying, if you're going to cut yourself, you're going to be cut off, right? So he's giving us this, this image of like, if you really want to go this route, right, what is this going to look like? You, you have a physical uh, example of which you can use or look to, to see what, what this is going to mean for you um, and, and how that plays out. Like you, you really want to do this, right? You want to sever yourself from Christ um, to to go to the law, uh, you want to fall away from grace, but you know we we pick up on some of Paul's also favorite words, right? So we've got faith, we've got hope, and love's going to come up soon too, and how those all kind of play together and interact together um, are really kind of an interesting uh, theme that gets pulled through all Paul's letters, but we see it here again uh, with that that grace that God pulls out uh, apart from works of the law. So that's a great connection as far as the word severed from Christ and the idea of circumcision. He's definitely using that kind of language, because if there's a cut on anything, we don't have to go too far with that analogy When in this case, but there's a cut, there's a clear break. This is not a matter of, I'm still kind of connected, I'm kind of there, you know, there's a few strands of hope here or something like that. It is a clear break. And then he says... Um, you would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Meaning, and you use that language, right, that this person has kind of fallen from grace. Um, 
that that there's there's no in between it's either this or this this goes beyond an, an annual voters meeting this goes beyond i say this often uh, a carpet color in the church this is a matter of salvation you are completely cut off and this is one of the hard things pastor and and i know i know we we've talked about this in the past you know and, and is about this reality that people can fall away from grace any any mm. any thoughts on that or how we look at that biblically uh, when we look at this church and our families and everybody? It just I mean that's a struggle. Any any thoughts on that? Oh, and it, it's always such a struggle when we look at someone who, you know, you think about the the church leader or the the pastor or whoever who denies you know everything they taught and everything they believed, and you wonder, well, how could you do that? Right? You knew the truth and yet you fall away. So. You know, the idea that some churches teach, like once saved, always saved, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously is, can't be true. Uh, but we also know that the true power of God's grace and how he holds all of us in his hands. And, you know, he knows the end result sitting outside of time. He obviously knows everything and how everything plays together. And so, you know, we, we get into a lot of, and I'm sure you've talked about before, the theology of the cross, right? You know, that mm-hmm. we we. we these things, and we say, I don't always understand exactly how this plays, but I do know that I can walk away, that God's love never fails and never falters, but I can also deny. I, I could believe and then walk away. That doesn't negate God's love. It doesn't negate God's grace towards me. What it does is me rejecting what God has given and the, the, the wonderful gift of love and faith. And, you know, Prayerfully, if you know that happens, the person will come back uh, before before the judgment day or before death. Absolutely, and and that's something we always come to in prayer. First of all, God gets all the credit for our faith. Too often we try, you know, this is, when we get to the end of chapter 5, with the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, those are all a gift that He pours onto us and gives to us. At the same time, for whatever reason, we can walk away, and that grieves us much, and we often blame ourselves, either as pastors or as parents or um, something we pray for all of our children. And that's my encouragement to you, our listeners, is that as we hear these words of, of the Galatians, is that... Um, Paul grieves the congregation as they're looking to go in a wrong direction, and we grieve um, our family members and others. And that's just my encouragement, again, to pray for our young people as they have many ideologies that are thrown at them, not quite a circumcision (laughs) ideology that they're worried about right now, but other ones that are saying either Jesus plus this or Jesus not at all. You just need to do this, this, and this, and you're a good person. And that is that, that grieves us. I know it does for me. Um, and and it is something that we continually keep in prayer and that we stand firm in the freedom that we have in Christ. It doesn't always sound great or exciting, but it is the truth. And boy, is it comforting. So as we look at this, uh, there's other words that he uses here, uh, Pastor Heine. And, and as I know, you're a thorough studier of these kind of things. He says, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Any thoughts on what that might be? Yeah, well, isn't Paul uses this word, these words before, if I remember correctly, in Romans, right? The whole creation eagerly awaits the redemption that is to come in Christ Jesus, mm. um, and the 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 gift that's coming here, right? So it's um, you know hope alongside eagerly waiting, right? Our spirit, 
uh, weights, our spirit longs for. Um, this is always that feeling that we have in this now and not yet time, right? We, we know the fullness of God's love, but we have not seen it yet. Um, we know our righteousness and we know the hope we have. And hope's a great word. I always I like to use this one sometimes to remind people like hope is not a wish upon a star. Um, hope is yeah. a sure confidence, right? It, it's mm. the knowledge that Christ has won, that the victory is won, and that the, on the last day, you know, we will stand before the throne. And those who believe will enter into eternal life and those who uh, don't into eternal death. And, you know, so we eagerly wait for that, right? It's not like we're wishing for it. We're, we're, we hope on that with eager anticipation with the, the prayer of the saints before the throne of God in Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. That is a great way to talk about hope, because if you talk to someone, you know, this is, this is what God has done, or, or sometimes, I don't know if you've had this, where you pray with somebody and they'll say, I sure hope that God heard this. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, 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 and this is, like you said, not the best way to talk about hope as a Christian, because hope is, as he says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord. That's what it is, the hope of righteousness, so that the hope of righteousness now and the hope of righteousness when Christ returns. That is a great way to talk about hope. Uh, we could do a whole sermon series, I think, on the word hope to make sure everyone says it correctly. So um, when you write that, Pastor, let me know and I will, uh, I'll just do what you do. How about that? That's fair. I, we can work together on that. <laughs> Anyways, any other thoughts on these verses, uh, verses four through six? There's a lot in there. Wonderful gospel and wonderful, well, wonderful law, I should say it that way. Any other thoughts on these verses? Yeah, I think verse six, we, we, you know, we want to stop at just briefly to, mm-hmm. to look mm-hmm. at, you know, because Paul here could be uh, maybe considered duplicitous, right? In some places he's encouraged circumcision. Now he's saying, don't do it. Like, what are you really trying to get at here? Um, and, you, you know, Paul, Paul's getting to the reasoning behind it, right? He's saying that, you know, circumcision in and of itself doesn't matter, right? You want to get circumcised for hygiene sake, or, or, or if you are circumcised already, that's fine, right? It's what you're putting your hope in. What are you putting your faith in? So it's not that circumcision or uncircumcision necessarily the act of in itself is wrong, right? It, it's a neutral thing, but it's where we're putting our hope. Are we putting our hope in the law? Or are we putting our hope in Christ? And then, his, you know, that that concluding statement there, only for faith working through love. Remember that faith produces love. It's not the other way around. Love doesn't produce faith. Um, so we don't do acts of love hoping that we're going to get faith. It's the gift of faith that produces acts of love in us. And he's he's keeping that before us. That is really profound, Pastor Heine. So uh, you said it this way, that faith produces love. You don't go around loving people and hoping that that gives you faith. It's the faith we have. And everyone has faith. The question is not, do people have faith? The question is, what do you have faith in? And, uh, and mm. here... Uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision matters. It doesn't count for anything. So what do we have faith in? Christ Jesus. And through Christ Jesus' love, there's always work happening. And and also, I saw um, a, a note on this, too, that this is faith working through love is just an understanding of 
This is what Christ does. He's always working through love, and that's who we have faith in. It's kind of a weird statement there at the end, and I kind of battled that quite a bit. Any other insights on that? Because I love how you said that. Faith brings love. Um, Anything else upon that? You know, I try not to get too far ahead of myself, but he's going to bring this back in 13, you know, 14, 15, and uh-huh. what, yeah. why we've been set free, right? What, what does freedom really mean? Where we think freedom, you know, sometimes freedom means I can do whatever I want, and Paul's going to come back and say, no, actually, freedom sets you free to do the law, right? It's not, I think mm-hmm. it was Dr. Joel Bierman that said it this way. He says, you know, we're not free from the law, we're free for the law. We're free oh. to do it now, not with the, with the, burden of, I can't do it good enough, I'm never going to achieve it, but free to say, I get to go do this now, and you know what? I'm going to do it the best I can, and even if I screw it up, I get to fall on the throne of God's grace with even more boldness. And so I can go live free to love my neighbor, not free to say, how much do I have to do for my neighbor? This is great. This is great. Once again, our relationship to the law has changed, not to find our hope, as we talk about, but because we have hope, we um, follow the law. So let's read 7 through 12, um, and uh, let's keep flowing along here. You were running well, were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Great way to end those verses right there. (laughs) So he once again says, you were running well. What is he telling us here? I, I love this portion. You know, we talked about how you can hear Paul's frustration you know, one of the things we lack in a lot of the, the biblical writings is the internal dialogue. You know, he was angry when he said sort of things. Um, mm. But you can almost hear it here. These, and the English does well here. They're very short sentences, right? You can almost oh, yeah. imagine Paul sitting in a room and he's writing. And the more he writes, the more agitated he gets because of what the Galatians have done. And all of a sudden he starts hitting these short sentences, right? You were running well. Who got in your way? Why is there leaven in the bunch? You can almost hear him, you know, his agitation or, you know, his pen just like scratching this out with anger. Um, you know, athletic imagery was big during uh, the Greek times. And, you know, mm-hmm. Philo and many others talked about athletics. People loved athletics. The ancient Greek games, uh, the Olympic games, you know, have their history. Paul would have been aware of them. He writes about them in many places, you know, shadow boxing and, and running to win the prize and all the different things he gets there. And so he brings in this beautiful runner's imagery again, uh, the idea of running well. Like you had already gotten rid of the things that were a hindrance to you. You had uh, trained well. You had learned what shoes to wear and how to run in good form. You have done, you, you knew the right, right way. And, you know, the, the way we translate in this, this in English, who has hindered you, the Greek is more along the lines of, and we get this same image again, right? Who cut in on you? Who oh, cut in front of you? And so good. he's, he's, Yes, we're, we miss this in the English translation because he's bringing almost that circumcision thing back in again, right? Who cut in on you? Who, who hindered your path? Who cut in front of you and knocked you off path? Which would have been, you know, a, a fragrant, 
I can't say the word, but a foul um, <laughs> in those days being ours, right? You, you'd be disqualified for cutting someone off. But here he's basically saying, who did this to you? Who, who cut in front of you and, and said you, you know, put, persuaded you away from or pulled you away from the truth? And then, you know, you can hear him say it again. Look, 11, right? A little bit of yeast. All it takes is just a little bit of yeast, and it goes throughout everything. Here's this one person. If you don't stand firm, going back to, you know, that hold your ground spot, um, you're going to lose it because that little bit's going to get in there. It's like, you know, if you're one degree off on a compass over 10 feet, that's not a whole lot. But over 10,000 miles, you're going to be way off course. Wow. You know? And that's really good. I want, I want to just highlight this, is that when you talk about who hindered you from obeying the truth and speaking in more of a language of cut off, that you basically literally go on a different path. It isn't just that you fell down or that you slowed down a little bit. We're talking a complete severed from Christ language that you used before. Um, hindered you is not just I slowed down. I didn't get as good of a time. Or you were running well, meaning that you were on this path to do the Jacob, the Jacob Heine um, uh, marathons, like four marathons in four days, like you would do. You know, I only did three instead of four, kind of thing, right? Isn't that about what you do? Four marathons, four days? Is that true? I have not done that. I have done uh, a crazy run where I ran a 5K, 10K half marathon and a full marathon four days in a row. Yes, I've done that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll define that as crazy, but we can talk about that another time. Is uh, But it's not just I didn't do, you know, the five and ten, and I didn't do the rest, or that I just did a half. It's that you were on a completely wrong path. You were completely off off the rockers. Who hindered you from this? Why would you do this? Don't go back. And we're going to learn more about this in the last um, verses here. But this is where that little leaven seems like just a little bit, you know, we've been baking bread lately, and just a little bit of that yeast all of a sudden makes this big blowing up and it looks insignificant, but it is huge. Where is your confidence? Other thoughts on these on these passages? Yeah, I, you can also hear Jesus in here. And I think probably Paul did too with the leaven, you know, beware the mm-hmm. leaven of the Pharisees, you know, you yeah. almost have and the Pharisees were all about the law, right? Keep the law. And so you can almost hear Paul bringing in Jesus again. You know, remember what Jesus told his disciples. Remember what Jesus told us. Um, beware of this because it will ruin everything. A little bit can ruin it all. And he says at the very end, and, you know, as you were talking about how he's writing this and there's more anger and more frustration as he goes, um, that he ends up writing at the very end in verse 12. And I just envision him writing it even harder. You know, like for me, when I'm adamant about something, I find myself just writing, digging deep into the notepad or (laughs) whatever I'm writing on. And you just see at the very end, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. He's so frustrated by it all. He dearly loves these people. And these, and, the, and these Judaizers are leading them away to say, you need this for hope. And he's like, how about you guys just go the whole way yourselves as opposed to leading others down the wrong path? Keep them on the path. You go do it and do it all out. Any thoughts on, on verse 12? Yeah, it, what, what an image, right? Sometimes we, you know, we sanitize this so much, right? His idea here is emasculation or mutilation, right? To castrate yourself. Like if you're just, if you're going to go, go to the law, then you might as well just understand that you've got nothing, right? You, you will bear nothing. You will bear no fruit. You will be um, mm. just 
you know, lost. And trying to remember, I think in Leviticus, isn't there a, a, a warning and a breaking of the covenant that goes along with uh, castration or mutilation? Oh um, and, oh you know, so the idea here, and I, I would have to do a little bit more research, but I believe somewhere in the Levitical law, you know, there is a punishment. There's a, a being outside now if this if you do this to yourself sort of thing. And so he's almost saying, if you're going to do that, just understand you're completely out. You're done. Um, you right. know, sort of idea. Like, you, you, you have lost it all. It speaks about that one thing I was reading. It just talked about how this could have been an illusion of a cult near in Galatia that, you know, the devotees, to show that their love for, for their goddess would practice castration. And so they probably had a little bit of that, but like you're saying, maybe, you know, we have to look in the Levitical um, um, rules and everything else. I'm not sure. But here, the, co- the, 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 the main thing that brings us together is what is your confidence in? If your confidence is in this, then, then just go all the way. Let's be honest. If your confidence is in the Lord, you can do it or you don't have to do it. It doesn't matter because your confidence is not in that, but on Christ. Last thoughts? Yeah, well, I just briefly found it. It's in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Those Ooh. who are, those whose testicles are crushed and whose penis is cut off will be admitted to, will not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Um, so there, I get to say some things on uh, the radio I never thought I would as well. That's right. But, and you, it's in the Bible, so we're good. We're good. It's in the Bible, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, there, there is the warning there, right? If you do this, right, this happens to you, you are not, you're no longer part of the assembly. You're no longer part of the church. Right. Right. Um, You are now outside of it. That is a good point. Yeah. So if you're going to believe this, you are on the outside. Now, now we have a transition at the very end. We have about eight minutes here, Pastor Heine, that I really want us to focus in on this. First of all, the idea of freedom. But what does our freedom lead us to? What does our foundation lead us to? And where does it give us comfort and also opportunity? Verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Wonderful words here. Um, Freedom has been manifested. So... Tell us more. Yeah, I'm so glad that we get to end here um, as opposed to above, yeah. right? What a <laughs> what a beautiful <laughs> a beautiful way to end. You know, the idea of being free. Or remember what we started with. You are free in Christ. In in, in Christ, you have been set free. Um, now He brings it back. He bookends it and reminds them that you are free. Um, you are called to freedom. You are free. Uh, but your freedom isn't licentiousness, right? It's not freedom to go do whatever you want. It's not freedom for your own sake. It's actually freedom for your brother, your sister, right? The the one who's in the community with you, you are free to love them. You're free to do the law for them, um, not for yourself to earn something by for God or by God or to God, but you are free just to love and to, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, where do we truly find that but in the gospel and in in Christ? So to be in Christ, which Paul used what in Galatians 2.20, you know, that idea of being in Christ, mm-hmm. now we can go live for the other. 
And, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer brought this out really well in some of his writings. But, you know, one of the things he said is, you know, in Christ, we truly find what it means to be the man for the other. And in Christ, we truly can be the man for the other. That is really, really good, especially when you look at Galatians 2. Um, My faith is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, And to be that man who begins with Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me, and then from that almost just naturally flows that understanding of freedom to serve one another. Um, What are ways that in the church and in our Christian lives that we can— I want to say, do this, or what's a good starting point as you, as you, when you pastor your church or proclaim the word, or maybe how you see this work out in the life of the church or in the life of Christians? How does this play out? How do you encourage people to do exactly what Paul is saying? You know, I think one of the the great ways, especially in um, our 21st century context, really comes down to it if you want an eighth commandment issue, right? Um, to, to think mm. the best of others, to, to look at others, to speak well of others always. Um, you know, we live in a world of sound bites and of anger. I mean, it doesn't take long to turn on social media or the news or to talk to somebody and see how quickly it turns to anger and, um, and snipping at each other. I mean, there's trolls everywhere uh, on the internet, in our churches, um, that, that are looking for ways to tear each other down. And, you know, Paul's last words here get to this, right? He says, but you, if you bite one another, you devour one another, right? If you're talking badly about each other, if you're looking to bring each other down, um, you're going to be consumed by someone else. You're going to be consumed by the other. That's going to take up your whole life. Um, but rather, when you speak the truth in love, when you live with hope, when your faith is in Christ alone— you're there to build each other up, to find unity in the gospel, to work together. And, you know, when there's issues, certainly talk them through. But, you know, we're, we're there to be one. We're there to be the body of Christ, the, the church, as the church is supposed to be. And that is a, a good point, because when you think about the eight the commandments, especially the Eighth Commandment, Eighth Commandment kind of brings you to your knees. You know, you might think that you've mm-hmm. honored your parents pretty well. You might think that you worship God pretty well. But Eighth Commandment, and I brought this up numerous times, just brings you to your knees. And with it comes a reality that one way you can love your neighbor is by not saying certain things, not typing certain things. And you might never be noticed, but you do you 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 serve your neighbor by not doing some of those things and and that's something for us to consider a significant amount is when we do speak that we speak truth um obviously in love and then there's a lot of times where we just don't speak at all and this is just as much of a service to our neighbor yeah mom may have been right if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all um, <laughs> maybe not quite that far, but sometimes she had a good point. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, Pastor Heine, we have about a minute left here. If How would you summarize these verses, wonderful verses that Paul gives to us for the Galatians and for us today? About a minute. If I was going to sum up these uh, 15 verses, I think I would sum it up with cling to Christ um, mm. and hold tight to his love, because when we're there— we don't we don't have to worry about the burden but we get but we're free to serve and to love each other well pastor 
Pastor Jacob Heine from Faith Lutheran Church in Topeka, Kansas, right in the middle of Jayhawk and Wildcat Country. He is helping us today in Galatians chapter 5. Pastor Heine, it's great to hear your voice, and thank you for being our guest. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pastor Finner, and I can't wait to uh, talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are called to freedom, and that freedom in Christ is a freedom not to use for your flesh, but to serve one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stand firm. Do not submit to slavery. But as Pastor Highness said so well, cling and cling to Christ alone. As we do this, we realize that we have hope, and that hope is confidence in the Lord. The boasting is in the Lord. All of this is from freedom that we have in Christ. Today, as we look at these words, we're reminded that we are in Christ and we are free. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church of Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.